welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. I'm going to start with the text. There's a, there's a number of texts I could have taken. Paul, wow, Paul just goes on and on about this stuff. But I chose Ephesians 5, 1, 4, and I'll read it with you. And it's, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of, and that Greek word is pronounced pornos, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Let's see if I can, there we go. I'm gonna try and master the slides better than I did last, uh, this morning. Um, so, as Chris said, what, why on earth are we talking about this in church, right? And I'm sure there are some of you who, who really, you know, this seems a bit of a mystery, but... Oh, okay, that's gonna... I, I will master this, honestly, we're gonna get there. Um, the reality is, is that sexual immorality is and always has been a spiritual issue facing God's people. That, that word pornos that came up, so there's a Greek word that the root is, is porn, right, and there's, there's various kind of iterations of it, pornos, porneia, um, and other ones. Well, that word can be found 147 times in the Greek Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, it's porneia, just one of the versions appears 26 times. Okay, so God is actually talking about this issue. Sometimes those words are translated adultery, sometimes it's sexual immorality, but they're all on a theme. Porn is just the current iteration of sexual immorality, and it's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg in our society right now for people facing this issue. Now, I'm also aware that while some of you may be wondering why on earth are we talking about this in church, there are some of you who are going, I know, I know why, I get it. I'm going to be speaking, I'm, you know, parts of this talk are going to feel like me up here with a sharp stick poking at some of your worst pain, because there are going to be people for whom this is some of their worst pain. And I'm, I'm sorry, I promise you we're going to start with the hard story and we're going to end with the story of hope. We will get there. So bear with me. If at any time this is feeling really tough and really personal and really painful, um, take some slow, deep breaths in for three and hold and then out for three. Press your feet hard into the floor, no one will know, okay? And just take care of yourself. If anybody needs to get up and leave, because this is really not um, something they're feeling they're coping well with, there's no judgment. You just take care of yourself and do what you need to do. I'm aware this is not an easy topic for people. You know, I notice, you notice there I said many of us are impacted. You probably have figured middle-aged women don't go around talking about porn um, just because it would make their mum really proud at the aglow meeting you know, next month if they can brag about it to their friends. Um, we do it because there's something about this that's very personal for us. So I'll just tell you a little bit of my story so that you know that as I'm speaking to these various angles, I know this story from all the various angles. I was born into a family that was already in chaos because of porn and porn addiction and sexual addiction. Um, I sometimes talk about there's new widows and new orphans these days. We've got porn widows and porn orphans. When there's addiction in the family, the kids are often getting lost. And, and some, a little further on, I'll explain a little bit more why that is. Um, so I knew what it was to grow up 
um, with, with pornography and sex addiction all around me. And then at around six, I stumbled on my dad's stash, and that started a problem in me that would go on for many years. Now, I was really fortunate because I'm old, and being old, I didn't grow up with the internet. I grew up with paper magazines, and they're not as addictive. And God and I, with very little other help, worked that out. But the reality is, is that it doesn't just stop with porn. The destruction of porn it deeply changes us um, and our sexuality. And probably if I'd gotten more help earlier, I wouldn't have, have struggled with some of the things I was later gonna struggle with as a young adult. So I understand it from every angle. I've also been the wife of a porn addict. Um, my husband shares his story openly and he will be sharing some of it tomorrow when we talk to the kids. So I know what it is from that angle too. So porn has been the thing that has like steamrollered my life from the beginning. And as typical, I think, with God is when he delivers us from something and he sets us free from something, that often becomes the area in which we have particular power to minister. It's like Satan tried to bring this in and mess with us, and then God uses it once he sets us free to turn tail and get Satan running. And that's the glory, that's to God's glory that he does that. So we are, many of us are impacted. The other reason we're talking about this is because this is if you're part of the younger generation, this may be the crucial spiritual issue you face in your lifetime. It is, it is the issue your generation is struggling with. And our gospel is a gospel of hope. And we have to bring it into intersection with people's reality. This is people's hard reality right now. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the sexual narrative today, because porn doesn't exist in a vacuum, it exists within the broader secular sexual narrative. So in the world's idea of sexuality, relation, in, in terms of relationships, if you're, if you're looking for a relationship, then sex is the goal, right? Sex is, is, is what you get to, that's why you have a relationship. In the world's narrative, anything consensual goes. However, um, there's a lot of, those of us who work with young people, those of us who work with women will, can tell you this idea of consensual is very loose um, and there are a lot of people being harmed under, you know, because a gun wasn't involved because that makes it consensual, right? Um, our kids in particular are very confused about, about sex because they've learned it from pornography. We'll be talking more about that last night. Kids use porn, hardcore porn with violence as their sex educator and they don't even know they have the right to say no to things like slapping me and strangling me. They don't know, so we have a lot of work to do. Um, because we have taken on the world's mantra that, that sex is a need, like a survival need, like I need air and water and food and sex, which is, is kind of funny because originally the church really stood for it, I mean originally like way back in time, the church you know, really stood for the idea of uh, we, you can live a celibate life, you know, that's possible. But now we have also kind of bought into this narrative of, well no, you can't live without sex. Um, you, know, you would die or something like that. Sex isn't actually a survival need, but when we start to conceptualize it as then suddenly we can develop this whole idea of rights. I have sexual rights because it's a need. 
And while the World Health Organization originally, um, they had ideas around sexual rights, they were about keeping people sex from, safe from exploitation. But now we're beginning to move into areas where my rights mean anything goes, okay? Um, sex is also treated right now like it's a, it's a means of power over others. So whether you're um, a young woman who's been taught that your body is something you can use to, um, to help, you know, control men, manipulate them, or whether you're a guy who's raised on porn as your sex educator, and there's the idea of uh, sex as domination. Sex is, I'm, in, I'm the person with the power I control. That's part of the narrative going on. We also hear that sex is recreational. It's just, you know, it's meaningless, so you just, if you're bored, it, you know, tomorrow afternoon you got nothing to do, then you just find somebody and go have sex. You know, it's just something we do for fun. No commitment needed. If you like each other, that's a bonus. But, you know, it's not necessary. Part of the story of our world's sexual narrative means that sometimes children result, children that are inconvenient, they don't fit in with how we do sex, but that's okay because we've got answers for that, right? There is a direct link between pornography and abortion. You have to follow it a few steps, but it's there. Um, the last point here, it's no one else's business. It, it kind of cracks me up because Satan always tries to have it both ways. He wants sex to be talked about on the radio. Actually, here in Hamilton, uh, Edge Radio was, um, sorry if there's somebody here that's associated with them, but they were interviewing porn stars um, just a few months ago and trying to talk young people into get into the porn industry. It's a great, great field, great job. You'll have, you know, you'll have a great time, um, which is a complete lie. I probably didn't need to, you know, you probably have guessed that, but you can look up the testimonies of ex-porn stars and, and it's, quite, it's quite horrific. I mean, it is very intricately linked with trafficking, coercion, drug abuse, addiction, disease. It's not a fun life. But on one hand, we're talking about sex all over the place, but as soon as we try to talk about it within God's framework or within a framework of morality, suddenly it's nobody's business. Okay? I like what um, Dr. Patricia Weir Kuhn says. I have some of her books at the back. She was the, the head of the Department of Sexology at the University of New South Wales for like a, about a decade and a half, and she's a very strong evangelical Christian. And Patricia says, whatever happens between a husband and wife matters to the family, the small group Bible study, the church, the community. For Christians, there is no private sexual sin. So it is our business, it's, it's each other's business if somebody's struggling amongst us. Okay, I'm realizing I'm getting all my slides at once. Am I doing something wrong? No, we don't know. Okay, that's fine. We'll just go with it. So you, you would probably have read the Old Testament at, at points. I know as a kid I was reading it and this idea of Asherah poles and high places comes up constantly and I would always be like, why is God so angry at these poles and high places? What does this even mean? But of course, when you read um, Eugene Peterson's The Message, you start to kind of get it a little bit better because he, he translates that sex and religion shrines. So what I found out through studying a little bit about the history is that the cultures around Israel, they worship Baal and Moloch. We've, we've read that in the Bible, right? And their female counterparts are Asherah and Ashtoreth. And these are gods of fertility and war. 
And since the people that time lived an agrarian lifestyle, they, their culture, their prosperity depended on their crops and their herds being fertile, right? So in an effort to appease the gods of fertility and entreat them to release blessings on their crops and herds, the people activated and exercised their own sexuality in hope that their sexual experience would allow them to become one with the god or goddess of fertility. So that, that was their thinking. So I, I find that interesting because this whole idea of we, we need it to secure our prosperity is, is fascinating because there is more money in the porn industry than every other industry out there, bar one. And the one industry that makes more money in a year than the porn industry is the sex trafficking industry. And the reality is you can't even tease those two apart easily because they're so intertwined. Um, I've heard a statistic while I was doing some training in this area in Europe last year, and I was told that the, apparently the economy of Hungary would collapse if the, por if porn, if the porn industry were shut down. So there is, there is some serious money behind this. So back to the ancient Israelites, though, and the nations around them. So these, these um, gods were worshipped in three main ways. Community festivities at the high places. Well, these were sexual festivities, okay? This is, I think sometimes we think we're the only people that have ever faced this. This has been going on in the world forever, like right back, okay? Big communal sexual festivities in the hills and mountains. Temple prostitution was another way. And, um, a lot of times, and there are some cultures in which every young, every young person of any social status, every young woman at least, was made to be a temple prostitute for part of her life. You kind of think about how, how that can damage the psyche because being treated as an object is extremely psychologically damaging. That was the norm in some of these societies, okay? Now, if you're gonna have communal sexual festivities, 10 months later, you're gonna have a bunch of babies of questionable origin, right? It's okay, we got an answer for this. Into the fire, child sacrifice. So the whole system, actually, from, from start to, to finish with, with babies being burned alive, was all related. This was, we're exercising our sexuality. We can deal with the results. That is the culture that ancient Israel found itself, the cultures ancient Israel found themselves surrounded by. In 1 Kings 15, God calls the Asherah poles a horrid image. Those Asherah poles were phallic symbols, and they were meant to sexualize the, the whole area, the environment. And you know what? We have stuff like that today. I mean, look at some of our billboards. Go to some news sites, um, you know, and look at the, what you see in the sidebars. We have sexualized images all around us that are eroticizing the atmosphere around us. Okay, this is, this is not new, but it, you know, I'm just pointing out God's people have been facing this. It has been the struggle for a long time. So come to the, the new church, the early church era, Paul's era, Jesus' era different gods, I'd say same spirits probably, but, but different names for the gods, and very similar practices. Now we have temple prostitution just like before. We still have the sexual festivities, only now there's a really uglier twist to this. If you ever, well, don't even bother looking it up. The whole Bacchanalian uh, rites thing is, is quite, um, it was quite nasty and probably similar to our hardest core porn that, we, that goes on. Um, we had voyeurism in terms of we'll just sit back and watch other people have sex. That sounds like porn. 
um, and we had sexual art, sexual entertainment, and now if children happen to result from these, these festivities and we're a little uncertain about them, we'll just abandon them. We'll just leave them outside the city gates. But um, it's interesting because the early church, they really, um, they really stepped up on that one because they began to adopt some of these children that were, that were being abandoned and they were undoing some of the harm of their sexualized culture. Um, Jim Anderson, who wrote a book that I'm, that's going to be for sale in the back, that I'm getting some of this, especially this historical part from, he said, the very same gods who destroyed the Israelites are worshipped in our culture and the cultures of the earth today. It's the same spirits. They've been around the whole time, and they don't even have new tricks. They just have new technology to work it through. Um, Actually, I'm going to speak one more thing on this. If you want to look at the obituaries of the kings of Israel, it's kind of interesting because what gets you noted as a good king in the obituaries is that you, you led the people away from the worship of Baal and Molech. And what gets you a really big obituary is if you go and tear down the high places and cut down the Asherah poles. There were only two kings that did that. But that's what God's heart was for ancient Israel, not only to get away from this, but to be involved in the actual destruction of these, of these places and of this sexualized worship, this sexualized culture. Um, I feel, and I've got a number of, oops, we're not. There we go. Nope. I'm missing a slide. Okay, that's okay. There we go, let's see what happened. So a number of us who work in this field who are Christians really feel that this is a form of idolatry, pornography. Um, and that, that plays out in a couple of practical ways. One is we have young women um, who are being, like those ones who, who got told temple prostitution is your, is your thing, that's what our culture does, off you go. Um, they're kind of being told being pornified, being sexualized is what's expected of you. You want love? You want affirmation? Show us what you got. This is the sexualized world that our young women are growing up in. Okay, and some of them notice, hey, that this works, I do get attention. And it can become almost a, I wanna be, I wanna be worshiped for my sexiness. We also have and, and sorry, I'm gonna speak of men and women as if men have the pornography problems and women don't. You know what, the reality is is we're coming up to um, the generation of our young, uh, say our teens right now, is expected that it's gonna become 50-50 rather soon, probably by their early 20s, another five, 10 years, we're gonna have 50% of porn addicts are females and 50% are males. And I'll be speaking at, those of you who are here from East West College or from WAC, I'm gonna be speaking on Tuesday. I'll explain a little bit more about the ramifications of that because they're actually quite, quite serious, um, is what my colleagues are finding. But uh, a lot of the people struggling with porn, whether it's guys or women, have a little bit of this idea of the goddess is gonna save me from my pain. And that's because porn is actually this amazing poly drug it, it works to numb, it works to remove you from your pain, it works as well as cocaine or heroin, possibly even better, at, at for a time removing you from your feelings of insignificance, your feelings of powerlessness, and all these things that bring pain to us in this, in this really tough world we live in. 
only there's a, there's a price, there's a catch, because eventually it's gonna create more problems than it's solving. That's the nature of addiction. Um, finally, the, the, another thing that makes me think of pornography as idolatry is that um, I think about these, the silversmith's riot in Ephesus, we read about that, that riot when Paul comes in and he's offering Jesus and you know, all these silversmiths just go, oh my goodness, we're gonna lo lose our business and we got you know, two hours of yelling and screaming, right, in the arena, long live Artemis. Um, the people who, the, this, the, the porn industry with its masses of money, it's extremely powerful and their influence on society is massive. Those of us who work in the field I'm working in, we, we do face regularly um, pressure from those industries, pressure, um, we, we face insults, we face, um, yeah, and anybody. You try writing something anti-porn on, on, you know, on the internet and see how many people come down on you with a hammer, like right now. People are defending this stuff violently. This is their way of life and they feel very threatened if you say anything against it. So how does this play out, this sexualized culture? What is it creating? Well, we know at present from US studies that 29% of men aged 18 to 30 view internet porn daily. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, most of the porn addicts, I work more with the wives, but I do work with some porn addicts, female and male, and you know, by the time often they're seeking help, it's more than once a day, okay? Three times a day. I have a colleague who's working with somebody who's using 25 times a day. You know, this is the nature of addiction, is escalation, and it's never enough. I, and I can't even feel normal anymore. I need something to soothe the pain, and this is the thing I use. We know that 65% of non-Christian men view it at least monthly. We know that 33% of women 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. We know that porn use increases infidelity rates by 300%. This is all, these are all backed up by studies. Only 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. Um, in fact, th in this same study, they found that more young adults felt that not recycling was wrong than felt that porn was wrong. Still, this is the, I, they said this is the bad, the bad news coming first, right? Hang with me, it will, it will get better. In the church, we know that God's people are affected. 64% of self-identified Christian men view pornography at least once a month. That's only 1% less than non-Christian men. Okay, we are struggling here. 15% of self-identified Christian women view porn at least once per month. And 35% of married Christian men have had sex with another woman while married. And I, I can draw you a direct link. There's studies that show the link between using porn and then taking it out, we're outside to affair partners or sex workers. So I'm gonna talk now about more damage on more of a personal level now. If you are the spouse of someone who's using pornography, um, and this is, I've, I've done my own, some of my own studies on this. I, I, I surveyed like 700 women around the world, and when I asked them to tell me what was your reaction when you found out, I had things like, I had a heart attack, and I don't mean figuratively, a woman had a literal heart attack, um, one woman said she lost her baby, she miscarried, she was healthy prior to finding out the shock in her body, she miscarried. Many, many women vomit upon hearing. The reaction is extreme, 
um, right in the physical body. It's extremely traumatic for a woman to find out that my husband has had this secret life. It, it feels very, very personal, much more than alcoholism. I hear from women all the time, I would have rather he'd had a drug addiction than this, okay? The addictive behaviors um, for guys that are in, you know, relatively deeply, um, they, I'm gonna talk about that shortly, that changes them. And so we see addictive behaviors that themselves are causing trauma. Um, I also see spiritual crisis in women who find out about their husband. I did, a, I did a survey on that as well, and I think it was 63% said that they went through a massive spiritual crisis on finding out. And for some of them, th that took years to resolve. Some of them, I'm working with women for whom it is not resolved. Um, and church really can, I, I'm just gonna, I didn't mention this this morning, but church can really make a difference in that. Because for some of those women, it gets resolved faster because they have good support in the church. But for women who don't have good support in the church, and maybe they even get blamed, those women, some of them, I, you know, years and years getting through that spiritual crisis. But of the women I surveyed, over 70% said that they came to a point of spiritual growth because of it. It's a hard, messy journey, this whole thing of coming out, of walking through getting help, but there is growth on the other side, even if you are the spouse. Okay, it's, there's, I, I recently came across this term, comparison trauma, and I think that described really well the identity damage that is done to women who find out about their spouse's double life with porn. Because porn is about comparison, it's about surfing, it's about objectification, it's about finding um, a body part that suits you better today than, another, than it did yesterday. And women frequently, frequently say, I feel less than, I feel less than. And that wasn't what God designed marriage for. God designed marriage for us to lift each other up, to show each other, to mirror each other how God sees us, God's perspective. And that's why you see 80-year-olds who like are so in love with each other still. You just see they look at each other and it's all, it's there in their eyes because they are seeing through God's eyes. They see God's perspective of each other. Guys who get healed from porn, this is kind of embarrassing for me to say, but I know my husband would say it. And he's not the only one because I've heard lots of guys. Like he will say, I am better looking at 50 than I was at 32. You wouldn't say that if, you know, because no one else in the world could say that they kind of think, you're nuts. Um, but, but that's what it is to come out of porn. It is to begin to see with God's perspective, your spouse, there's no more negative comparison. It's only positive comparison. She becomes the object of your affection. She becomes what you are bonded to. It doesn't matter if she looks like a wrinkly 80-year-old. My husband apparently is still gonna think I'm the thing when I'm 80 years old. <laughs> We'll see, but, but we're seeing this in couples older than ourselves who, who have walked this journey, so they give me hope that there, there's something to this. So I'm gonna talk now about the damage to the person using porn, and I experienced some of this damage as a kid. Um, I couldn't have told you what was going on in my brain, but we know that there's actual physical changes to the brain. My husband loves all the brain stuff and he pulls out spec scans that show this is your brain on heroin, this is your brain on porn. Guess which one looks worse? It's the one on porn. It actually looks, it looks more damaged. Um, there's shrinkage in the reward centers. That's the brain trying to protect itself from the super normal stimulus, right? He's gonna talk about that tomorrow again. He's the brain guy. 
Um, there's the supernormal stimulus of porn. It changes, actually makes physical changes in the brain as the brain tries to, to go, look, too much dopamine, too much dopamine, too much dopamine, I'm shutting down my receptors. And that's why everything feels boring after a while. That's why everything feels um, like nothing motivates you. It's because your dopamine's supposed to be a motivation chemical. You can't receive as much anymore because you over-flooded it while you were dealing with the porn. That takes 30 days, 45 days to heal. It actually doesn't take that long. A lot of guys think, I, I'm never gonna get over this, I have no motivation. 45 days going without, trying to really cut out the stimulus, the other, all, all sexual stimulus, and your brain heals, heals, heals. But it can feel really nasty before that. Porn is changing people's ideas, right? As we, you know, we've got research, again, back to the 80s, showing that people, when they view porn, they begin to think sexual violence, meh, it's not so bad. People who originally thought it was pretty bad are suddenly going, eh, well, you know, it's not such a big deal. It changes our beliefs, our ideas. Um, it changes our character as well. There's a guy named Marcus Warner um, I'm going to be talking about a bit. He has a really good video series online called Slaying the Monster, Six Battle Strategies for Overcoming Porn. He's, there's a book as well. We've got it on order from the U.S., um, so hopefully we'll have that shortly. But he talks about when you're using porn, the right side of your brain, which is your relational side, shuts down. What that means is I stop acting like myself. I don't develop relational skills. I lose relational skills, in fact. And I bond to the porn rather than bonding to people. Okay? This left side is problem solving. So it puts you strongly in the left side of your brain so people suddenly seem like problems to be solved. And that's why if you've ever had to deal with addicts, drug addicts, any addicts, that's why they seem so manipulative. Because they do not, the right side of their brain where they interact with you relationally isn't working properly. Part of their healing is to get that working properly. What that also makes you when you become people or problems to be solved, it means that you become more predatory. You don't, you don't relate, you see people as something to be consumed. The desires also change. And finally, the behaviors also change. We become more protective of mistress porn, or whatever our sexual acting out is, than about our family members. Okay, and that's just a natural, that's a natural brain change that happens when you are looking at an image, of a pornographic image, and then having an orgasm. All those brain chemicals that would bond you to what you're looking at your wife are now bonding you to the pixels on the screen. And that becomes what you want to protect. Um, regarding beliefs, there is this wonderful guy by the name of Samuel Perry, who does research in the area of Christians and porn, and he's doing about a study a year right now. And a summary of some of his last few studies found that there are declines in religious commitment for those using porn. Less prayer, less church attendance. There's an increase in religious doubts. In fact, he found a direct correlation to the amount of porn used and the amount of religious doubts. More porn used, more religious doubts. Less porn used, fewer religious doubts direct correlation. He also found that a parent who uses pornography spends less time discussing spiritual matters with his or her children. So it's pretty significant spiritual damage. 
I like what Dr. Warner says about this. He says, people think, you know, in regards to porn use, it's just a sin, I just need to stop. And he says, this is a specific kind of sin that affects a lot of things about us and often slips into that category we call addiction. That means we need, we need better strategies and stop it. Stop it's not getting people very far. Okay. We'll talk about those. We're gonna talk about the strategy shortly. So, to, to finally end, you know, the bad story, the, the tough story, I'm gonna just say that with regards to the damage to society, it's vast. Um, there are, there, each of these things, each of these bullet points, there are loads of studies about, to, to back up how, the, the direct link between porn use and these, these terrible things. This is where we get to the good news. God cares, he cares. If you're, if you're a person whose heart has been broken by somebody else's pornography use, a child, a mother, a wife, he sees and he knows and he hears and he cares, okay? And as I say that, if you're somebody who's struggled with being the, the porn user and your porn use has hurt others, that's hard to hear. And that's because the shame surrounding this particular sin is huge, huge and debilitating. But try and, try and bear with me, because now I'm gonna make it a little bit hard for the victims. It's hard for the wives or those who've been, who've been impacted to hear this, but God loves those trapped in pornography use. He absolutely does. He loves them in the midst of the worst of their addiction as much as he did when they were a newborn baby. His love does not change for them ever, but he loves them too much to leave them stuck there because this will destroy them and it will separate them from everyone including himself and he won't have it because he wants to help. I've realized we're running a little bit short on time so just let me say God has a different idea for sex. He has a, an idea of a one flesh union in marriage where husband and wife are connected at every level, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and physical. This is very different from the world's story of sex, okay? He's got an idea where Holy Spirit within man, woman, together is a reflection of the Trinity. He has an idea of sex where it's a foreshadowing of the joyful divine union of Jesus and the church. And he says, this is not recreational. This is not something I do with whomever happens along, whether I know them or not, really. He says, this is so powerful, it needs a covenantal boundary. It needs to be within marriage. And that power is then unleashed for good, good for the relationship, for the couple, for the family, for their community. It just rolls out the goodness of this. I was, um, I have a group of women I pray with um, weekly, and we're all over the world actually, but we pray, we fast, we pray about this, and I had a vision while praying in one day about our guys and women who ever caught in the pornography trap, the sex addiction trap, as like the slaves coming out of Egypt, because they, it is a form of slavery, but God wants to set his people free, whoever wants to come and he wants to transform them on their journey till they are a mighty army who's able to take down the nations, to take them down, 
He's going to use you to wreak vengeance on the one that steamrollered you and me. That's his vision for you. It's his vision for me. It doesn't mean he's gonna make you go around and talk about porn everywhere either. Just, that's just a me thing. Um, but I believe he's raising that army. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So the first thing is he wants to move you out of that worldly sorrow, that shame that would keep you bound and say there's no hope. Forget it, man, you've tried, you've talked to God, you've cried, you've been on your knees, nothing happened. Okay, there's a way out, there really is a way out. Okay, it starts with the godly sorrow. That leads to repentance and leads to salvation. Find an identity group, come out, be known. I know we'd rather do this in isolation. We'd rather just do this us and God, but it doesn't work that well. Oh, oh I'm on the line. Thank you. It doesn't work that well. He's such a good guy. Um, we've, got to, we, we've got to find people we can be real with. We've got to find safe people. I know not everyone's safe, but there are lots of safe people at this church, and they're ready. They, are, they know what's going on. You're not gonna say anything that's gonna blow them out of the water, shock them, I, they can't handle your thing. You know, those of us who've been around who work in this field, I don't think there's anything I haven't heard at this point. There's nothing God can't hold. They can hold it. They're safe people here. Find them. They're gonna help you find your Christ-given identity because as you learn that, this thing's gonna start to fall away. God is not just interested in, in saving you from pornography. That's not his big goal for you. His big goal for you is to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. He is transforming you. The porn will go away as part of that. He has big plans for each of you, for everybody harmed by this, okay? I'm just going to end by saying that Paul told us in Corinthians, he said, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what comes next. It's really important you listen to what comes next. And this is what some of you were. Our church, our faith was built out of broken, sexually broken people like us. He built his church on people like us. He delivered them, he has not changed, he will deliver us. He does, he is, he's delivering his people. There's a way out. He will take you there, and he will build a church. Okay, I'm gonna just leave you with some resources. These are some of the, the resources I recommend if you're just beginning to entertain going on this journey, or if you are, in, including if your journey is I'm trying to recover from the trauma of somebody else's porn use or the pain that it's causing me. And that church is, I think, probably a lot to sit with, but I leave that with you. Visit these amazing people. Talk to them if you've got, if this is something that's impacting you in any way. Okay. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.